Welcome to the Authentically American Podcast, featuring inspiring stories from great Americans who are making a difference. Your host is West Point grad, former Army Ranger, and founder of Authentically American, Dean Wagner. Welcome to the Authentically American Podcast, featuring the inspiring stories of great Americans who are making a difference. I'm your host, Dean Wagner, and I'm excited to be joined by one of those great Americans, former Navy SEAL team leader, Jason Kuhn. Jason has an inspiring story of overcoming crippling anxiety that derailed his dreams of playing professional baseball. Now, Jason is the founder of Stonewall Solutions and helps teams all across the country achieve success with his Fundamentals of Winning team building curriculum. His program is built on the principles he learned as a Navy SEAL. I know you're really going to enjoy hearing Jason share some of his unique experiences. All right, Jason, thank you for joining me here. Your story is incredible, it's compelling, and it's inspiring, and thank you for being here with me. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, uh -huh. I'm pumped to be here. Fantastic. Well, there's a lot of twists and turns to your stories, but it seemed like it all started out back on the baseball field, so tell me yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, I did. Right here in Tennessee, I grew up in Hendersonville, just north of Nashville. Mm -hmm. uh, got a scholarship to play baseball at Tennessee Tech, transferred from there to MTSU. Mm -hmm. That's when I kind of really came into myself and started becoming pretty good at baseball. I yeah. uh, wasn't going to be a, a first-round draft pick or anything like <laughs> that, but definitely had a very realistic shot at playing professional baseball as a pitcher. I was a closer-style pitcher there, uh, threw hard, threw a lot of strikes, mm -hmm. and then I developed what's known as performance anxiety. Mm -hmm. Pretty much lost my ability to throw a baseball and was pretty broken at that point, and that's when baseball ended for me there and then I shifted gears towards the Navy. Got it. Well, performance anxiety, I know I've you know, played hockey at Division One collegiate level and right. I've had that anxiety, but tell me more about what you experienced because I think most people don't even realize when you say anxiety what that means when you're a pitcher. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I just recorded a podcast on this with Michael McHenry, a professional uh, retired Major League Baseball catcher. And mm -hmm. what's often misunderstood, the slang term for performance anxiety is the yips. Yeah. All right, so it's very common in golf, very common in baseball, and common in volleyball. And it's not a rational anxiety. So it's, uh, you know, if you're getting nervous, there's people in the crowd, uh, you know, whatever. A scout is here and I get nervous, an elevated heart rate, whatever. That's a different kind of thing. This is more of a subconscious thing where you have involuntary muscle tension. Mm -hmm. you, your hand seizes up and you can't stop it. Your, your brain triggers some sort of threat. You have tension in your hand as you go to throw, swing the golf club, whatever. And you just simply can't perform. It's involuntary, it's incredibly frustrating, it's embarrassing, yeah. and um, I've actually helped some people, including one professional player, recover from this through a kind of an unorthodox system that is, is very different from the traditional sports psychology side, uh, just because due to my experiences. At the time, you know, when I went through it, there wasn't a lot of information about it. The internet wasn't what it is today, you know, to right. find stuff, and um, I just thought I had gone, I just lost my mind. And uh, it, was, it was a very lonely and, and, and trying time for me in my life. I can only imagine. So looking back, are you able to identify anything that may have triggered that? Yeah, there's a few things. It's, I say, you know, it's never one thing, in my mm -hmm. opinion, through my experiences and those that I've helped recover from mm -hmm. this. It's more like a pot of soup or a perfect storm. It's a lot of events that come together. And a lot of it for me was baseball completely defined me. So I, what I say is I had a dependency on what I did. And a lot of times now when I work with people, I'll ask them, who are you without what you do? Can you define yourself without you know, your, your title or your status? And for me at that age and time, I could not. I was dependent on baseball for my sense of self-worth. Yeah. Right? And so that was a big problem. And, um, you know, and then just uh, so, so going through that, that really helped, helped me gain some self-awareness. And somebody said to me one day, it was a professional baseball player, and he said, you know, one, one way I deal with all the stress and everything is what I do doesn't define who I am. Who I am defines what I do. But at the time, I thought, you know, when I, when I failed at baseball, I thought I lost my purpose in life. You know, yeah, I thought I yeah. failed everyone. Mm -hmm. Got it. Well, it's interesting, but your life took quite a turn because baseball, you had dreams and aspirations of playing professionally, and then what happened? Because you took a completely different path. Yeah, well the first mm -hmm. thing I did was I was pretty devastated. Mm -hmm. 
I felt somewhat bad about that because there's real problems in the world, and here mm-hmm. I am, you know, broken. But that was, you know, how I identified as a person. I loved playing baseball, and now not only, you know, I, it, I literally couldn't play it anymore. Even if there was a spot to play, I couldn't throw the ball properly. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I was really embarrassed, uh, really, 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 really down. And honestly, I started drinking a lot to cope. I couldn't sleep at night. Oh, wow. And one day I woke up in my dorm room at Middle Tennessee State, and I thought, you know, something's got to change. Yeah. And I prayed. Mm-hmm. And I just prayed as hard as I ever had in my life. And I felt words just come across my soul, and it just said, you know, just wait, something better's coming for you. I still couldn't throw. I still tried. I, 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 right up to the last day, I kept going to the field. I did everything I possibly could to try to beat this, but it never came back. But in that prayer, I had peace. For the first time in a year, I had peace and some sort of clarity. But what changed the narrative for me was I, st- I had never, you know, I grew up a, bl- a blue-collar kid. I was, I was a tough kid. I, I worked for my playing time. Uh, nothing was handed to me, but I started to feel sorry for myself for the first time ever. And I learned that victimhood produces more victimhood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not immoral or anything. It just has no value. Self-pity has no value. So I picked myself up from there, and I stopped looking at this as having taken my purpose, and I started viewing it as having purpose for me to be forged into the, ultimately the man I needed to become to accomplish something greater. So 9-11 happens that fall. Some other events in my life take place that push me in that direction, and I joined the Navy with the intention of becoming a Navy SEAL. Wow. Quite a turn from... Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was. And, you know, that's where, you know, I say you can't let other people define you. Um, you, you know, you can gain self-awareness from critics and what people say. But there were quite a few people that thought I had lost my mind because it was such a drastic turn. And because my failure in baseball was due to more of a mental problem than a physical problem. You know, are like, hey, you're going to the most mentally demanding school in the country, you know, so... What are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Did you have a friend, or what, what was it that said Navy, Navy SEAL specifically, that led you down that path? Versus the other branches? Any other branches? Yeah. Or any other? Ton of respect for all the other you know, mm-hmm. special operations brothers and, and, and everyone out there, really, in the, in the military. What got me to the SEALs or why I chose the SEALs specifically, I did a lot of research. So I read books on the Green Berets, on Army Rangers, mm-hmm. Navy SEALs, the Air Force Pararescue, Combat Controlmen, looked into being a pilot at, some, at, at one point. And what really attracted me to BUDS uh, was, was, was BUDS, the training. So it's basic underwater demolition SEAL training. And there's a part in there called Hell Week, which is five and a half days. You know, only, only sleep a total of four hours that entire week and most sources were saying that was the most difficult training in the military and I wanted to test myself in the most difficult uh, thing that I could put myself through and I liked that in the SEAL teams we you know we jumped and we dove and we did every aspect out there and I know some of the other units do too or, or various versions of it but I really liked the exclusivity of the SEAL teams, the, the length and depth and difficulty of the training. And, and uh, so for me, that's what made sense. And, and I narrowed it down to the Air Force combat controllers and then the SEAL teams. And then I finally decided on the SEAL teams. So you're trying to tell me the Navy SEALs are tougher than the Army Rangers? <laughs> In my opinion, yes. But I have a lot of friends that are Army Rangers and have worked huh. with them on other government contracts overseas. And they're wonderful, wonderful guys. Uh, but yeah, those are my, you know, the SEAL teams, those are my boys. That's what I, oh, you know, right. I take pride in and, and what, I, what I like to I've do. I've always had some good fun jesting back and forth with some of my brothers and friend, friends in arms that have been through Navy SEAL school because it's incredibly demanding, as is Ranger school. Sure. And at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters which one you've gone to. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's um, you know, once you're, once you're in the fight and, um, you know, in special operations and things like that, it's, 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 it's time to take the fight to the enemy. But, yeah, the inter-service rivalries and stuff like that, oh, yeah. I think it's healthy and fun. And um, everyone is good at, at, at certain things and, and whatever. But, yeah, I mean, it's, I agree. Because yeah, I went to flight school, then went to ranger school. So right. I had my first, first-hand experience there. So another time we should share more stories. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, anytime. That. Yeah. But, but I'm curious, as you think back through Hell Week, as you think back to that whole experience, was there one thing that you said, wow, I don't know if I could ever make it. This was absolutely the toughest part 
of the school hands down. Yeah, so, well, Hell Week, in a, sen- in, in a general sense, in a macro sense, is by far, for me, and I think most SEALs would agree, the most difficult mm-hmm. part of the training. Yeah. Um, the, within the week itself, there's, there's different moments. Um, prior to Hell Week, which I think was three or four weeks of training, it was very difficult. We went from about 135 guys who started the class down to starting the week with, with somewhere in the 40s, 40s. And we came out of Hell Week with 20. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. The, but prior to Hell Week, everything was what I thought it was going to be. There, were, there wasn't a lot of surprises. Hey, this yeah. is really hard, but I expected it to be. Hell Week was just a, a kick in the face. I mean, just a kick in the teeth. It was it was. Pretty much everything we had done in those prior four weeks crammed into one week with no sleep and harder and more intense. <laughs> and it's just, um, it's like nothing I've ever experienced. Monday morning was the most difficult moment that I had. So it starts on Sunday afternoon. And most everyone quits right up front. It's not at the end of the week. It's all in the beginning of the week. Because oh, yeah. they think, you get there on Monday and you think, how am I going to get to Friday without having <laughs> slept, right? Uh-huh. And... Once you've gotten to Wednesday, hardly anybody quits anymore because you see the light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, But that evening, we had ran somewhere around 15 miles. I think we ran a, close to five miles with logs, telephone poles, and close to five miles with boats on our heads through the sand, and then ran back. We did surf passage, surf torture, where they lay us in the water, and, and we go you know, almost into a state of hypothermia over and over again. And people literally couldn't quit fast enough. There was a line at the, they had the bell out on the beach in the back of a truck with, and then, and then burritos and blankets and coffee. And all you got to do is go, come on. So all you have to do is go ring the bell three times and you get a blanket, coffee and a burrito. And, um, and it's very enticing. (laughs) So I, we came out, kind of stumbled up onto the beach in this moment. One of the instructors came up to me and said, Hey, everybody hates you. It's time for you to quit. Right? So why don't you go get in line? And uh, that was the most difficult moment I had. And they look for you. They can see it on your face, you know, and they want to poke at you with your vulnerabilities in your most difficult moments to see how you're going to respond. And I remember somebody told me, another Navy SEAL, he said, before you quit, get to the next thing and then quit. You know, break big things into small pieces. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I teach in my courses now is, you know, when you feel overwhelmed, is breaking things into small pieces. So I thought... If I were to quit right now, I have to walk over to the bell. Mm-hmm. So I might, if I can, if I can walk that far, well, I can walk that far in the right direction. So right. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to literally take one step, and then I took that one step, got back with my boat crew, was good to go, and uh, we start running down the beach. I'm like, hey guys, does everybody hate me? <laughs> like, no, man, they say that to everybody. You're good. I never thought about it again, but that one moment, because you know, that one teeny tiny step sent my life in a direction that was amazing. Yeah. Those instructors, whether it's Navy SEAL or Ranger, are incredible at what they do because they know the physical, mental, emotional stress you're under, and then they just know how to oh, push yeah. those buttons and think, does my team really hate me? Yeah, that's yeah. it. And, but there's purpose to it as well. When people think, you know, hey, it's sadistic or it's over the line or it's whatever, I, I disagree because when you go to combat, you know, as you know, there's people who are trying to take your life. They're trying to kill you. So if you can't manage somebody poking fun at the way you look or what people think about whatever trying to push your buttons under extreme stress well how are you going to handle when people are trying to kill you right you know you're not going to be able to hold that line and those are the kind of guys you want next to you you know the biggest strongest fastest guys are worthless if they drop their gun and run away and that's Mm -hmm. why i say you know you never sacrifice character for talent because you know talent's worthless if it runs and character is priceless when it's time to hold the line no doubt about it so so tell me the journey after you successfully completed navy seal training so where'd you go after that yeah so i made it through uh buds and i got stationed at what's called sdv team two Mm -hmm. Uh, that is a team that specializes in a mini submersible a little Mm -hmm. submarine i was there for a while and then i ended up going to seal team eight and then i got i had uh, some wonderful deployments uh, so i had i went to iraq i've been to afghanistan and i've also deployed to africa Literally around the world. Yeah, a little bit, and I uh, did some time in Europe as well. My experience level, you know, a lot of people don't understand the totem pole of, you know, n- new guys versus, you know, men who've retired from the teams and whatever. So um, I don't have nearly as much experience as, as some, uh, you know, team guys as we call them, but, but, I, but I did get 
quite a bit in and um, about a 10-year period. So 10 years total. 10 years sure. total to include contracting. So I did some contract work for oh, the wow. government as well, right? So as you think back, what was that highlight experience of your career with the Navy? It would be probably the deployment to Iraq. I, I became a team leader after a helicopter crash. And what that means is I wasn't in charge of an entire SEAL mm -hmm. platoon or a SEAL team. I was in charge of about 10 to 20 men at any given point on the ground, you know, conducting operations with a group of about four or five other team leaders. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was, that was probably the most rewarding time for me. I had great, great, great operators with me that helped me through, uh, you know, I was learning how to lead oh, on the fly and made a lot of mistakes, but fortunately had some wonderful mentors uh, for the, the men above me, my LPO, um, I won't mention their names, but man, they're, <laughs> and then the guys that worked, you know, if you want to say with me or, or, or whatever the, you know, my guys out there just, they learned fast, they understood, you know, what I was going through and, and that was just a wonderful platoon. Fantastic. So. So after 10 years serving our country, yep. so what was next? Well, I started, yeah, so uh, I came home from a contract. Uh, some things kind of went south over there. I needed a new line of work, and um, I was kind of lost again. It kind of reminded me of the baseball days, except for not quite as devastated in the process. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of lost and looking for direction, and... You know, when you stop doing military special operations, it's almost, I kind of compare it to being, you know, a high level or pro athlete because it's like, what do I do? You know, I've been, you get so good at this thing and have dedicated so much of your life to it. It's like, man, what do I, what do I do now? Oh, yeah. So I started working in security and trying to do some various things around Nashville and security and, was, and had some success with some colleagues, but I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it. And it was hard. Uh, failed at the first couple attempts at self-employment, and then a friend uh, asked me if I would come. Well, I, my old baseball coach at Middle Tennessee State was for, asked me to come speak to the team on mental toughness. Wow. So I did, and then a friend working with the Vanderbilt football team asked if I would come speak to the Vanderbilt football team and run them through some team-building drills. Did you really have anything prepared, or was it just like, hey? I asked him, I said, how much time do I have to prepare for this? This is a big deal. You know, this is an SEC school football team, 100-plus players. And he said, two days. <laughs> I said, all right. Uh -oh. So I sat in a room with two big whiteboards for two days trying to put this together. Me and another, another SEAL, who's a wonderful guy, and uh, we put, a, put together a plan, went over there and executed, and had a great time with the Vanderbilt football team. And that's where the idea for what I do now was born. Got it. So... Two days to figure out what we we're going to share with yeah. a, one of the top programs in the country to 100 plus people. So, no yips on that experience. No, not at all, not at all. And the, you know, maybe some nerves or some. Uh -huh. uh, just, mostly, I just wanted it to be effective. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I think that motivation is quality, but it wears off after a point in time. So I wanted them to have some real skills based in experience. So. Where I, where, I, where I do love some principles of sports psychology, a lot of that is based out of the textbook. So I wanted to give them some, hey, you know, when we're talking about focus, processing failure, how to lead, how to respond to adversity when we're very emotionally driven and, and, and it matters, um, how to compete in high pressure. I wanted to give them not only some tools that they could use on the football field to help succeed, but also base my assertion in a real world experience if i tell you to do x because it's going to help you perform better at y i want to be able to prove that narrative through a real world experience that i have lived and that helps create buy-in so that they they believe that it's real um, if i've explained that correctly oh absolutely right so you went from a friend former coach saying come and share to now this is really your business so yeah. when did you make that shift to okay the next phase where i want to be an entrepreneur <laughs> sure a business owner knock high school baseball team and just north of pittsburgh mm -hmm. uh, which i believe is where you're from yes, right originally pittsburgh yeah so mm -hmm. uh, saxonburg up in that area oh, yeah. mm -hmm. their coach calls i had worked with a couple of teams locally and Tennessee. I had began to monetize it. I finally started charging money for it. But I had worked it for about four or five local teams, mostly at the high school level. And a coach up there calls, says, will you come work with my boys? Mm -hmm. I'd love to. Well, I find out they had been in a fist fight uh, the oh, week wow. before, but I, and, uh, you know, kind of 
man, a lot of energy, a lot of toughness, uh, and, and, and a lot of talent, and a wonderful coach, and he had came in to take over the program. So I work with these young men. Um, I had one guy try to carry the log, a log by himself, and when he couldn't do it, I had another young man, and there was a relationship there. There's a reason why I chose those two. I won't break it down too much, but I had when he couldn't get the log across the field by himself, I had the other guy go help him. And then we put it all together and finished the program as one team, one fight. Well, long story short, they went on and won the state championship that year. They had never won more than one playoff game in the history of the school, no state titles in any sport, and they beat everyone. And so I'm following the score on Twitter, and we're driving uh, somewhere with my wife, and I was losing connection on my phone, and I see that they won the game, and I started crying. And my wife said, we were running out of money real, real fast. In fact, the next month, was that was it, you know, and we were going to have to wow. figure it out. And she looked at me, and she said, we'll, we'll get a credit card. Go buy the equipment that you need. This, we're going to do whatever we have to do to make this work. But if that's the influence, you know, the impact that you're sharing your experiences can have, oh, yeah. then that's what we've got to do. So that was, yeah. So knock so high school. Brings baseball. home the championship and brings you to tears. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So that story, which it's the baseball modern day version of Hoosiers, in my opinion, uh -huh. plus, um, uh, you know, my wife's uh, ability to, to encourage me, give me the courage to, to try. You know, I told you, I was more comfortable with combat stress than financial stress or business oh, yeah. stress. You know, there's a simplicity to war that I miss. Mm -hmm. And so to engage this was very uncomfortable for me, even given, you know, the history and background that I had. But, uh, but I did, and that was five years ago. And now it's, that is, you know, I work with corporate teams and all sorts of teams across the country, and I just couldn't so be happy. how long ago was that, Jason, that you were down to your last month? Less, less than five years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So tell me about it now, because it was one client, one success story, and okay, yeah. your wife believes in you. Right, well, I just flew this. out, yeah, as you know, to get this scheduled, I just flown out of Boston last night, and I was sitting in the C-suite of a publicly traded company advising, you know, with the advisory board, uh, helping provide them some solutions with leadership development and uh, implementing some projects, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I can't break into that stuff too much, but yeah, and I was even thinking about that on the way home, and when I was thinking forward to the podcast and things, I was like, well, I was like, man, it's amazing how far you've gone from, uh, you know, where you were there to, you know, what just happened today. So, I'm hoping to follow your lead, Jason, because we launched Authentically American a little over a year and a half ago. So right. you got a three and a half year head start on us. So. Uh, well, you know, you just stay the course and you focus on the process and what you can control and what you can affect. And I haven't always been great at that. Right. <laughs> But it can, ha it can, it can, you know, there's, there's ups and downs and good times and bad times. But, you know, I always say what I, what I try to do with this, especially when things get difficult, and, and they are oftentimes, is, you know, reward and enjoy the successful times. But understanding the difficult times, how you respond to that is where your legacy is going to be made, oh, yeah. you know, in anything that you do. So there are a lot of coaches out there. There's a lot of folks that focus on performance. So why is it that somebody says, I'm going to call Jason? I'm right. going to call Stonewall Solutions, and this is why. So why do they call you? Well, I think that, you know, a lot of times people say, you should be mentally tough or better leaders. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then nobody tells them how, or they don't know how. And there's... You know, coaches have so much on their plate, whether that's a, you know, a college coach or a, you know, corporate CEO or whatever it is. They have got 8 million different things going on from hiring to recruiting to whatever they're going to do. And for me, what I wanted to do was create a system. So I call it the fundamentals of winning. The original one with Vanderbilt concluded five principles. Now it's 10. And they're linear so each one progresses from one to the other so there's workbooks that go with it into addition to the you know the keynote and presentation yeah. and then there's an application process so the team building part that I do and I work out with everyone is not designed to create attrition or get anyone to quit or build them you know break them down and build them back up it's not that's not what it's for what it's for mm -hmm. is to and and coaches don't need me for that um, it is to apply what we learn so if I say, you know, Dean, will you, I need to understand sales. Will you teach me how to sell something? Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to talk about it, mm -hmm. but then we're going to go, we're going to go practice it. it, right? Yeah. Same thing with hitting a baseball. How do I hit? Well, here's how you do it. But then you go, what do you do? Take a thousand cuts off the tee and soft mm -hmm. toss. 
Well, I, I noticed that there's not really anything like that for adversity or leadership mm -hmm. or processing failure. You know, to just try harder next time. You know, how do we really <laughs> debrief stuff so we uh -huh. find process improvement? And the drills, the outdoor drills, are an application process to practice those things before the season or before we engage a project on the corporate side. So I'm intrigued by that because I'm with you. Like, anxiety, toughness, you can't, at least from my historical knowledge and understanding, you know, get those at-bats like you would. So how do you give people those at-bats in dealing with anxiety? Yeah, I'll give you an example. So mm -hmm. at the end of a drill, uh, say we have them, you know, do whatever mm -hmm. kind of drill they're doing. You know, it's a race of some sort. Mm -hmm. And it pays to be a winner, which is a saying from, you know, buds and training. And we will, you know, the winning team moves on, and the losing teams all have to do more log PT, which isn't much fun, you know. Yeah. And I tell them, you know, that's not to punish you. It's to create a consequence for failing to invoke pressure so that you learn to control your thought and action under that pressure. And at the end of a drill, I'll have them say, get on the right knee with the right hand up and say it pays to be a winner or something like that. And I make it just intense enough or whatever to where they mess it up. And then I take them in a calm environment and I'll say, all right, right knee down, right hand up, say it pays to be a winner. Every single person can execute that completely fine under no stress. All you introduce is a little bit of physical fatigue and a little bit of stress or pressure from the, from the, the you know, the, the consequence for failure, and we get on the wrong knee, we say the wrong words, we look the wrong way, whatever it is. Well, the same thing's true in sales or whatever. We start thinking so far forward to the outcome, we forget the process, we're so emotionally attached to the outcome, we forget to execute the process. So I say, what I really want them to learn is the environment will not influence my actions, my actions will influence the environment. Got it. And you know, when, when teams at a young, when you get to the high school level, if they can get, if they can get that down, they can crush people because the talent difference isn't that great from school to school. Oh, yeah. Right. Got it. So are these single-day programs, multi-day programs? Well, it depends. Most of the time, so for a high school team, it's usually a single-day program. For college teams, it usually is, too. However, there are uh, some that, uh, you know, have me kind of stay attached to the team throughout the season and packages for that. Corporate groups usually work in three tiers. It's a 30 to 45-minute keynote is where mm -hmm. we start kind of introduce things that go uh, uh, funnels into a half day seminar and workbooks and things that go with that from there they have the tools and information to take this training on board on their own if they would like to uh, but uh, certain groups hire me to come back and then start really because it's it's a fire hose it's a lot of information yeah. so what we do is we come back and we just break that linear process down into pieces so we digest one master it and then we move to the next concept a year later, they don't need me anymore, and I hope that they just uh, suggest me to somebody they do business with that benefits them as well. I was just curious, like buds, if you let them sleep in between this training. <laughs> yeah, it's very relaxed. It's, it's not a, an in-your-face or anything like that. It's really focused on making the individual leader better, and if each individual is better, if each individual can respond to adversity better, uh, can, can inspire and lead by example and own the results, you know, empowerment and decentralization is huge, but it only works properly if we have the right people in place. Otherwise, it's a disaster. So just, just helping them create those processes and or with some groups, I help, uh, help solve specific problems. So we get, I use the curriculum to help solve problems, but it's not, we're not training on the curriculum. I love hearing great American sex success stories. You shared one with the team that had that Hoosiers-like story. So right. you had any other good stories that they've gone through in your program and then here's the impact? Here's Absolutely. The so uh, Coach Scott Blade at Independence High School is a wonderful coach. And so when I say these aren't my success stories, I'm a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Okay. But when it all comes together, it's amazing. So you get a great coach. You get some talented kids that will buy in and execute what you're trying to get them to execute amazing things happen. So uh, Coach Blade calls me early, right after the Knock High School Championship pretty much. And uh, you know, they're right down there in Thompson Station and work with them, work with them every year. But that year particularly is when things went, when it all came together. Mm -hmm. They went 15 and 0 and ultimately won 29 consecutive games after wow. a six and five season, uh, received a Max Preps number one national ranking and uh, it was just an incredible thing to be a part of. And uh, 
you know, watching that, I try to stay in the back. I don't get to every game. I only get to a few a year. But I was in kind of in the, you know, in the shadows, in the background, and watching the kids, you know, at the end of that state championship, I mean, it's, it's coming through. Right? I love it. Hugging fathers and, and scholarships gained and the lives that are changed through, you know, what that man does at that program. And then my ability to be a small part of it is just – that's the most rewarding part of it, you know, to see that. Another story where the tears probably start flowing for you, just thinking the impact. Yeah, there, and there and there's more, and I don't want to miss anybody. But you know, as I got to throw Reinhardt women's soccer, they you know they went from you know they would hit the the, the first barrier, they would get to the the national tournament, mm -hmm. and uh, they would always lose in the first round. They finally break through, get to the elite eight. Uh, Spring Hill baseball, Coach Lamb is just awesome. They won 46 games in a row, and I think had a number two national ranking at one point, and. Uh, you know, uh, University of Georgia, super small part of, of working with those guys uh, about f three years ago, I think. And, and, and Coach Strickland is just a wonderful, wonderful coach in every aspect of the game. And they're, I think, in a top five ranking right now. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. So you've survived the first five years as a business owner. Yeah. What do you envision as the next five years? Man, just wherever God wants to take it is right. kind of how I've, I've grown this thing. I mean, I don't n neglect the, you know, the forward planning. Mm -hmm. uh, I originally thought that I was going to focus solely on athletics. Mm -hmm. And that has completely changed direction. I actually work with corporate groups a lot more now. Oh, wow. And Well, I say a lot more, but a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I really, my most enjoyment, I, I love everyone that works with me. Um, I just personally enjoy the dynamics of the corporate scene and, and, the, and the, um, the problems that I get to engage with there. And I also really love, love working at the high school level. Oh, yeah. So I think that, um, you know, I also don't really enjoy a lot of publicity. Uh, so I don't want to be the next you know blow up on social media i mean i do what's necessary to you know market sensibly and things but um you know i think uh, you know just keep moving on the consulting side on the corporate and then getting into as many high schools as i can to get to the kids when they're young and you can influence them would be where how i see it going i think that comes as part of your training as a navy seal not being self-promoting and having that servant leader type philosophy but i think you do need to get the word out because the results are real yeah, so if somebody wants to find out more about you, Jason, and Stonewall Solutions, so how do they find out more? Oh, yeah. Well, you can. I've got uh, an account on just about all of the social media platforms. You can look up either Jason Kuhn, it's K-U-H-N, and uh, that, so Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or Stonewall Solutions, the company. There's a company page for all of those as well. And I put out various forms of content according to the platform also. So if you want to follow, you know, on Twitter, it's usually a little blurb of motivation of some sort or a skill, uh, LinkedIn articles, things like that, whatever. Um, or uh, you can go to www.stonewall-solutions.com, and there's also a podcast there and uh, more information there also. Fantastic. So do you have others on your team that you work with, or is this more of a sole proprietorship? It's mostly a sole proprietorship. I do most of it on my own. Mm -hmm. I do have other Navy SEALs and folks that I bring in from time to time for larger projects mm -hmm. uh, to help assist me there. Wonderful guys that do a great job. Oh, and uh, yeah, so if we have a bigger event, I'll bring them in to, to help. And Fantastic. Well, Jason, I have loved having a first row seat here, getting to hear your story and hear more about what you've done and the impact you're having. So thank you for sharing. and. You know, it's interesting at Authentically American, one of the things we're intentional about is giving back. That's one of our core values, and we donate 10% of our gross profits to veteran and first responder charities, and you're one of those American heroes that we talk about serving, so thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say I got to walk among some, that's for mm -hmm. sure. And yeah. uh, I do like to say, as I have shared publicly here, is everything I share, it's about the experiences that I had, not about me. and what I learned from men better than myself. Um, some of the things I've seen guys do in, in under extreme duress and life and death situations blows me away. And uh, to get to share that and help other people, but that's what it is, it's the experiences. But love what you guys are doing. Anything I can do to help Good. Authentically American, follow these guys and what they're doing. Dean's <laughs> awesome, and it's awesome, so. Yeah, well I also have a gift for you, and I'm okay. embarrassed to admit that I left <laughs> the gift at the office, but we're gonna make sure you get it. and we. As you've heard, as we talked before, we provide polos, jackets, t-shirts, hats, and one of the gifts that we've found that people love is socks. Okay. Nobody wears ties anymore. Socks are the new ties. So 
you can take a quick peek and see right. what I'm wearing. We've oh, there you the go. Black and gray Stars and Stripes version. We've got the red and blue true American Patriot version. So I'm going to make sure we get those to you. So apologize for not having them here, but it's busy, as you know, in the first year and a half of your business. So I will get those to you. But again, thank you, Jason. It was awesome hearing your story. Oh, yeah. No, thank you for having me. I very much appreciate it. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to the Authentically American podcast. You can follow Authentically American on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and find all our episodes at authenticallyamerican.us forward slash podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening.